Have you ever heard the song, The Ten Commandment Boogie by Go Fish? You might not have. I hadn't heard of it. But the commandments, God spoke to Moses and gave him instructions to teach the people of Israel. These instructions or commandments help them to live right. The Ten Commandments are all about how we act with God and how we So listen to the lyrics. I'm not going to sing the song for you. Uh, But as I read them, count on your fingers with me. So let's begin with two closed fists. Ready? So number one, no other God but the one who is true. Don't worship any other. That's commandment two. Number three, use the name of God only with respect. Number four, on Sunday, take a rest. The first four teach us how to love and honor God, but God wants us to love and honor other people too. The remaining commandments teach us the best ways to do that. So treating one another in these ways helps us to live together in peace. So we're halfway through with one that's just for you. Listen to your mom and dad because what they say you got. Number six, don't ever take someone's life. Number seven, feels like heaven, but only with your husband or wife. Number eight is great along with number nine. Don't steal from others and don't ever lie. And ten, if your friend has something that you think is cool, don't ever wish that it was yours. And that's the final rule. These commandments are mentioned in other places in the Bible as well. When the Israelites received these instructions from God, they felt special. They were honored that God would trust them with these instructions to help them please God. So which instruction do you think is the most important? The Pharisees asked that same question, and they used it to test Jesus. The Pharisees were a group of people who kind of ran the church. They were, they were involved in the church a lot, but they were really stuck on rules and weren't all that loving. They were always trying to trap Jesus with his answers. But they asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law? Jesus replied, as we've already heard this morning, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. This is the first and most important commandment. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that is written in the law and the prophets is based on these two commandments. So love God and love others. Scripture tells us to love God, know God, and act the way God wants. We can't do one without doing the other. In fact, if we do all three, it becomes hard to tell where loving stops and doing things for others begins. See, our actions show our love to one another. Love to someone with your actions. For a prayer, I want everyone to put up their ten fingers. So what do you think those ten fingers mean? Right, Ten Commandments, right? God's instructions. Now hold the palms so that they're facing you. Cross your arms on your chest. That's the American Sign Language symbol for love. The Ten Commandments are based on loving God and loving one another. If we truly love God, then we follow them. We follow all the commandments. So let's pray. Loving and gracious God. Thank you for your set of rules, rules that are based on loving you and respecting others. Help us to keep all your commandments out of love for you. Amen. Sorry, I can't be with you in person today, but I am with youth and our area youth at our 
Dinao Camp down in Littleton at Camp Willa Run. So um, I am bringing you this message by recording so that we can still have our worship time together. Today is Reformation Sunday. Some historians claim that it was on October 31st that Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Church door. Luther broke from the former Roman Catholic Church over issues with several practices that he felt were unfaithful. Interestingly, for history buffs, the United Methodist Church roots are a little different. John Wesley began Methodism as a revival movement within the Church of England, which broke from the Roman Catholic Church for completely different reasons, having to do with a king who didn't like the pesky rules of marriage that the popes had laid down. What Luther and later Wesley were trying to do was to bring the church back to the basics of the faith, back to the Bible, back to Jesus. And every now and then, we all need to be reminded to keep the main thing the main thing in our worship. And what better way than to return to Jesus' reminder of the core of our gospel? When asked what were the greatest commandments, his reply was simple. Love God and love neighbor. So that's where we start this week. That foundational statement of who we are and how we're supposed to be living. The loving God part of the equation is expressed in our worship quite often. We sing songs of praise of the attributes of God. We sing about the, the presence and power of the God we worship. We shouldn't neglect the second part, however. When Jesus says the second is like it, he meant it. Essential. It's part of it. We can't love God fully without loving neighbor. The two are inseparable in the end. So whose lives have been changed because of the love of the congregation? That almost feels like a test, doesn't it? Matthew says that the question asked of Jesus in our text today was a test also. And Luke agrees. In Luke 10, 25. Mark, in chapter 12, 28, he has a little different take. Mark says that it was a scribe or a lawyer who was really interested and was really asking. When Jesus answered, the lawyer claps his hands and says, Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what makes sense. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus was impressed by him and said, You've got it. You're on the right track. You're almost there. Almost there. Not far from the kingdom. Wouldn't it be great to hear that from Jesus? Huh. But whether it's a test or a genuine question, Jesus answers the same. What's the greatest commandment? What's number one law? What's the summation of the code? It's not really what Jesus is answering. I mean, it is the question that Jesus is answering, but it's not just that. It's not just the legal question. It's not just a doctrinal question. It's a life question. A living question. How can I be alive? How can I be fully alive? How can I be perfect? Whoa, perfect. That P word goes against one of our treasured defining statements of life in general that nobody is perfect, right? Now we know Jesus told us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But that's kind of hard to figure out what he meant, right? Did he really mean that, or did he say that with divine fingers crossed? 
John Wesley talked about Christian perfection as if it was something reachable. And he got a lot of flack for that. And even when he seemed to waver over his confidence about whether it was attainable later in his life and ministry, it didn't really matter. Maybe he'd been exposed to too many human beings and began to despair that Christian perfection was not in the same time zone. But he didn't give up. He still preached it, despite the overwhelming evidence of imperfection. That's kind of where we are in our journey this month. We started with sin, the sin that cripples us, infects us, and overwhelms us. We acknowledge grace, the grace that comes before. Before what? Well, before we've done anything. Before we've responded, before we've asked. Before we were even aware we needed grace, knew about grace, understood grace. Before all of that. Prevenient grace is the fancy word to talk about that. But then we discover that we can respond to his grace that we've found or that he's found us. We can say yes. We can say please. We can say give me some of that grace. I know I need it. I know I'm far from it. I know I'm lost without it. I want to be right again. Right with the one who made me. The one who loves me. Justifying grace. That moment of claiming and being claimed. A new birth. A new creation. A new start. And it's just the start. It's a journey. A lifelong journey of hope and joy. A journey of living into the possibilities of faith, of being made more like Christ, more alive. Sanctifying grace then equips us for a life of loving like Christ loves, of loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and loving our neighbor as ourself. And that's it. That's the journey of our life. What, Mel, what else could there possibly be? Perfection? Not the unattainable, not the infallible, mistake-free image of perfection that we come to mind You know, when we talk about that word. Wesley defined Christian perfection or perfection in love, if you will, in specific ways. Perfection in love doesn't mean perfection in knowledge. It doesn't mean we'll always do the right thing at the right time. It doesn't mean that we will never have anything go wrong, that we won't be subject to the ills of life and living. We're subject to the same viruses, the same calamities, the same errors that everyone else is subject to. We don't become super Christians or spiritual giants. And it doesn't mean that we have no more room to grow. No more development to engage. There's always room for more. More perfection? Well, not exactly. More likely you are perfect as you are now, but you can be more in the future and perfect then too. Well, Christian perfection or perfection in love it's not a state of being. It's not a standard. It's not a behavior. Instead, it's a singularity of intent. It's the desire to will the will of God in all things. And I can will God's will now, knowing that I will, knowing that I know, knowing I've lived the life I've lived to this point. But I can will God's will in the future when I know more, have lived more, and loved more. 
Steve Harper, the author of the book The Way to Heaven, describes a parent who measures a child in development and declares that the child is perfect for a four-year-old. But not done, obviously. Not complete. There's always room to come. There's more to come. There's more to reach for, more to give, and more to be, even as we claim perfection. So it's not that I'm there yet. It's not that I've been made perfect in love yet. Not that I love the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and neighbors as myself. I want to. I really do. Sometimes. Now and then. On my better days. But the problem is will. Sometimes our own will gets in the way of God's will. Sometimes we act, and I do too, like the lawyer in the text. I'm asking, but not really asking. I want to know how to live my life in the best, most fulfilling way possible, but I'm not really making a commitment yet. Testing, you know. The way to press on in this life of faith is to stand on these two gospels. These two rules, these two descriptions of what life is really like in faith. Any other measure we might find is only valuable in that it reflects these two commandments. And even the word commandment gives us the wrong impression sometimes. Can you command love? How about these two truths? These two foundational truths about how to live as God intended it to be. To live as we are created to be. So we press on to embrace these truths. To make them descriptive of our entire lives. We can't just be testing the waters if we really want to press on. We've got to dive in. We've got to participate. We can use metaphors all day on that. See, we need to press on in the strength of those two commandments, those two principles. Love God and love others. These two, above all else, let us be known. Amen. Let us pray together. Most